Welcome to Sacrifice to Success Podcast. My name is David Weaver, and I am the owner of The Forgotten Heart Project. My mission is to help others create freedom in every aspect of their life. In this season of the podcast, we are talking life, business, and what makes you feel alive. We are speaking with business owners and entrepreneurs from all over, hearing about the sacrifices, the learnings, the twists, the turns, the ups and downs, and the successes that they have had in life and business. These are their stories. All right. Welcome, everybody. Thanks for being with us today. So my guest today is Andrew Maloney. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. Yeah, you bet. So just give us a little overview of, of yourself and your company. So I'm uh, Andrew Maloney. I've been in the uh, cyber industry for uh, a little over 20 years now, believe it or not. Uh, got to start in the U.S. military and the Air Force just out of high school and uh, did some government contracting, moved over to the uh, the dark side, as they call it, on the vendor space. That's when I started to get my first kind of uh, feelers into selling and delivering kind of services and product to customers. Um, all of these years later, still in the security space as a primary focus, but uh it's, uh, it's been an interesting journey from very technical to uh, obviously much more business oriented today. Uh, the query AI story is really one about data. Uh, it's a very interesting world that we're in where you know, COVID has certainly accelerated this, but data has been more and more uh, decentralized or segregated um, over, over the years. We've tried to dump everything in one bucket. That in the security space is called data lakes or SIMs or otherwise. But with the cloud adoption and the move to these kind of software as a service style vendors, we've got a lot of data silos and companies are really struggling to get the insight and intelligence out of those to understand what's going on in a collective picture. Query AI connects the dots for them, provides that centralized access and insights by leaving the data in its kind of remote locations and just querying it real time on demand. Mm. Okay. So let's, can you say that again in a like, pretend we know nothing about technology sort of way? Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you've got questions, right? Um, yeah. I guess uh, to create a fun analogy here, right, you've got a lot of intelligent friends and they're all specialized. Maybe, you know, a doctor, an engineer, a lawyer, right? And you've got questions around kind of areas of each of their practices. You couldn't just ask a generic question to one of them and get all three collective answers. That's very much the way that it works in the data world. You've got context information around maybe who I am as a user in one system. You've got information as to what system I'm on and what device that looks like. Is it a Mac? Is it a Windows machine? So on and so forth. Uh, and then the kind of activities and thing I'm doing that all this data lives in kind of different pockets uh, and to be able to ask a single question and get answers from all of those and bring that intelligence back collectively to understand what that means is, is what we're focused on. So it's the equivalent of asking one question to your super smart friend who has the, the answers from all of them and, and nice. getting it back, but without having to move all the information from their collective or their individual brains to one collective brain. Okay, cool. That's a really good analogy. <laughs> so that helps a lot. No, so, yeah. I mean, I was like looking at your website. I'm like, I don't really understand a word of this. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Well, that maybe something we could go back and revisit on my marketing team. Uh, we're very focused on cybersecurity now. So there's a lot of nomenclature that's specific to that. But this yeah. is really a, a problem that kind of stretches across the board. We see use cases for this everywhere. Business analytics, GRC, uh, fraud and risk. Um, there's a, a number of different use cases for this type of technology. We're just very much focused today on security and, and some of our growth plans expand outside of that. Nice. That's awesome. So let's go back a little bit. Have you always been a business owner or 
Oh. Tell, me, tell me about that journey a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Short answer is absolutely not. Um, so I grew up in a very blue collar family, right? So it's always been like, you know, you go to work and you work in many cases for my parents, either one job or my grandparents were even farmers, right? So they, they kind of own their own business, but it was to do what you can to get by kind of managing that one operation. Um, you know, my dad has, has been, uh, an engineer on the railroad, right. Where he was kind of driving trains for a while, worked in the, uh, train yard as a welder, but there's kind of pension funds for that. And then he worked at the airport for a very long time where he's got a, a pension fund in retirement, right? Well, by the time I came around, um, you know, pension funds, not that they don't exist today, but they are largely a thing of the past, at least in the tech world. So when I got in the military and got interested in computers, um, you know, look at across the board, the objective of staying with one company for your entire career was kind of just non-existent to be honest with you. Um, but I, it took a long time through, through my career progression to understand that, uh, you know, driving businesses, driving strategies, if you really want to have kind of the ability to take control and with that comes accountability, obviously, but to, um, you know, go against the grain and do innovative things. Sometimes you, you need to take that risk. So being willing to take that risk and go down an entrepreneurial path has been a, a very rewarding one. Obviously a lot of work and a lot of uh, stress that comes with that risk, but um, I, I think it's a lot of fun. So short answer is absolutely not. Um, but I don't think I would, uh, I would go backwards at this point. And I would highly encourage many folks to, to maybe take that risk earlier. Cool. Yeah. There's, it's so much fun to, do you remember, um, like how, how you felt like around when you were like, okay, I'm going to do this and like taking the leap. That was probably a couple of year period for me, honestly. I think I okay. took an interesting uh, approach to this and the fact that, you know, you start with um, the military was my first, you know, employment, if you will, uh, out of high school. So I got some good training there. I got interested in computers and then I was doing government contracting work. So working for vendors and it probably hadn't dawned on me at that point. You get into startup land and you, you get your first options, equity shares, and you're like, oh, okay, this could be cool, right? And then ArcSight was that company for me. They went public and then they were acquired. So a really good exit. And you say, hey, there's some money to be made here this is really interesting so it's like okay what does the next thing look like so you go to an earlier startup and you're like all right i'm starting to see how the ingredients are put together and how you know the uh um the, the bread is made i guess for lack of better terms um that went through an acquisition the, the next company there was was niara for me that's uh you know both of the places arcsite and niara where I, I met my business partner today garage um didn't want to go back to a big company. I had learned that. So I was like, all right, let's try yet another earlier. So I joined a company called Jask as the first non-founding executive and, and it helped to build that ship, right? It was like uh, mm. running all of sales and marketing for the first year, getting the first million in revenue. And there's something about that, right? You're building the team, you're building the culture at that point. You're putting all these pieces together. You're succeeding together. There's always, again, ups and downs. It was like, you know, there's no reason I shouldn't be able to try this on my own at that point. And it was kind of building that confidence. Um, the guidance I would give is don't wait, pull the trigger early. It's not as hard to get started as you may think. I mean, there's a lot of work to be done and there's a lot of ways to fail even still where we are today. There's more things that could go wrong than right. Um, but having the kind of control of your own destiny and, uh, you know, just being willing to go out there and get things done is, uh, is a lot of fun. And again, that building piece is, is the most exciting part to me, bringing new folks in when people are following you from other jobs. It's one of the, the best compliments I believe you can get. So I feel like we've built a really strong team here that I'm very proud of and, uh, wouldn't change any of that. Nice. So do you feel like, um, cause I agree, I think like being an entrepreneur is awesome. But I think that there's a lot of people out there who probably also think it's really scary. Um, do you feel like certain personalities and temperaments lend themselves better or worse to being an entrepreneur? Like, what are your thoughts around that? Um, you know, it's an interesting question, right? Because, you know, I go back to my roots as a you know, blue collar family. I didn't realize how many ways you could make money 
historically, mm. right? And like have a career, uh, you know, when you grow up in those families, it's like, hey, you got to be a doctor or a lawyer. Those are the folks that are rich and there's a whole lot of school that goes into this and yada, yada, yada. But in actuality, if you think of it from a entrepreneurial style, you can make money literally doing anything. Uh, I use an analogy recently about like, you know, if you're running a janitorial service as a janitor, it may be difficult to kind of break through and accumulate wealth. But if you're running the company and you can take a strategy that's going to differentiate you and do that a thousand times over, then you can absolutely accumulate a pretty large business and a good company. Uh, one of the most wealthy companies around where I'm at here is a moving company and they're buying up all kinds of lands with their extra profits to kind of put in conservation, which I love, right? So it's like, there's any way, any number of ways that uh, that you can make money to the personality conversation i said you have to be driven right nobody's going to yeah. be like poking you to get up every day and do the work and you got to be strong mentally because it's a roller coaster absolutely every day is an up and down you could have the best and the worst day all within about a two-hour window uh, depending <laughs> on what news just arrived but if you have the kind of persistence to keep at it stay strong and kind of look at the big picture uh, all of those analogies are very true, right? You're going to hear no 10,000 times and get one yes, but that one yes has to fuel you and show you that you're on the right track. Because a lot of times what you're trying to do, people haven't realized yet, and you've got to take them down that path with you. And then my favorite things are looking back and seeing people say, okay, you know, you were right, or there's there's really something to that, or I agree with you. In our space, some of the big vendors who have been centralizing things for literally decades now uh, have started to contact us and say, hey, look, we we acknowledge we're not going to have all this data in one store. That's a huge victory for, for me personally and for us as a company. Um, not that they're going to help us move it along or it's going to be any easier, but it's a validation that, mm -hmm. you know, six months, a year ago, nobody necessarily would have come to, right? It takes the time and you got to kind of keep driving and keep educating and evangelizing and hopefully it all works out. Yeah, cool. I love that. So um, what would you say is like one of the maybe biggest challenges that you had in building your company? And then like, how, how did you work through that? Um, I mean, there's, there's obviously some stuff that's kind of specific to query and then there's stuff that applies to every business, right? Uh, yeah. Some of this does not apply across industry, but you know, in tech, very seldom is the first idea that you start to build towards the thing that the mass market needs, right? You've got this concept, you've kind of loosely identified a problem. Uh, but one of the first challenges for us was taking this initial kind of what, um, what is this thing we're selling? What is the value we're trying to really drive home and, and aligning that to the mass market need. So, um, you know, with Query, when I started partnering with Duraj, he had built a prototype of this data access platform. Um, you could th think of it as Siri for your sock, right? It was actually Iris, which is Siri backwards, but you literally talk <laughs> to it audibly. It would use uh, uh, intelligence to translate your, your voice to text and then run queries on a single data platform which is a novel idea and it's really interesting, but we found that it was kind of a cute thing that nobody really needed or wanted. Um, mm -hmm. When you apply that to our background in this uh, security information event management space, which you can just largely think of as, hey, let me dump everything in one bucket, right? And that's the attempt. It's just everything goes to my bucket, I own it, and then I can help you kind of get intelligence from, from there. Um, you start to see that this single data platform access is challenging, but the real problem is that the data is not all in that platform, right? It lives everywhere. So being able to have those customer conversations, listen and understand kind of what the actual need was, which has led us to today in this kind of decentralized investigations platform uh, was one of the first and largest challenges, right? Because if you stick too strongly to your belief in that initial idea, you could entirely miss the market or build the best thing that nobody needs, which is not necessarily <laughs> a good thing either, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. Oh man, yeah, that's so true. So 
Well, then on the flip side, well, obviously like you created that into a success, but what's another maybe thing that you're super proud of that you've been able to create? Um, you know, honestly, one of the things that I'm most excited about here is our team. Um, the people that have followed me here, the folks we've been able to kind of recruit, and put together, I feel like are, uh, an, an, an industry best in class team. And it really is all about the people, right. In this kind of an environment, uh, we just raised a series a in October, right. So we're fresh on capital, but series a is still very early in terms of kind of revenue growth and, uh, being able to stamp a victory in the startup world. Right. So we got a lot of work left to do. And as I mentioned, more ways to fail still than succeed, but getting the right people is a core part of that. And you're working so tightly with everyone. Um, a lot of people like that. It's one of the things that drives me from an entrepreneurial perspective, but also the companies that I work for, uh, even before kind of going on my own, I like wearing multiple hats and finding those like-minded folks who aren't willing to, or aren't, um, aren't unwilling to roll up their sleeves and just figure it out. Because every day we learn in every customer conversation, every engagement, every customer that we've delivered product to that we're learning from, you have to be able to kind of continue to adapt and evolve. And there's a certain persona, I think, that fits that best. Uh, finding those folks across your company that you can really depend on and know that uh, you know they're willing to speak up and share their opinions when things are good or bad, right? Because if everybody's just kind of following marching orders, you're not going to learn enough to, to correct action. Um, but the folks who can also to kind of take this ride with you and know that it's going to be a lot of hard work, right? This is not one of those jobs where you just go and you collect a paycheck Monday through Friday. Um, everybody's collective efforts drives the outcome. And you know where we've come today is very much um, a reflection of what the team has done. Cool. That's very cool. So that, that leads me to another, I think, good question, which is like, how did you find these good people? Because I think that's a, a hot topic right now with like the great resignation and there's so many people not working and leaving and going to different jobs. What have you found in like getting these quality people to work on your team? I may have stepped on a landmine there. Um, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I do wish that there was an easy button for this. Uh, you know, for me, very fortunate, right? Uh, again, 20 years of experience in the industry. I've met a lot of these people along the way, right? You find oh, okay. those folks that you work yeah. with and you know, and you know what their capabilities are. Uh, and that's where I say you know, one of the biggest compliments is somebody following you to a very risky early stage company and willing to be able to say, you know what? I believe in you. I believe in this. Let's go do it. And having them come on board. So um, maybe some of that is luck. A lot of it has to go to kind of experience and time, but you know, you can't spend 20 years building that team of people to go build your company. So, uh, you know, friends and family network is a big part of it. Your point of the great resignation is, is real, right? We are dealing with that firsthand, not so much the resignation piece, but, um, the massive shortage of, you know, trained and skilled people in, in development and sales and, and operations marketing kind of across the board, right? It's it just so hot. Uh, the new world of COVID where you can really work from anywhere. And uh, we've been remote before. It was cool. It's kind of what we coined it, right? Because the, the headquarters of South Dakota, I'm in Virginia. We have employees, you know, all over the country. And then a lot of our developers in India, um, so for us, that operational shift wasn't a big one, but now we're competing with every big company as well. Who's, you know, started to say, Hey, like, I don't care where you're at. You don't have to come to an office. Uh, it just made it much more competitive across. And I think to that point, it's, you know, what kind of culture have you built at the company? How are you performing? What kind of opportunities in front of you? And you kind of put that package together and you have to go sell it just like anybody else, but you got to be able to compete against the Amazons and the Google. And we can't do that financially. In many cases, there's got to be another aspect, whether it's, you know, the mental aptitude and, and desires of that employee. Uh, or, you know, again, putting the best offer together, having that strong team where people can see the passion and the drive and want to be part of it. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And I, and I imagine like those people are like excited about 
like the smaller nature of it and the potential growth versus like joining Amazon. Right. I mean, you, there are people definitely wired differently, right? Uh, there's yeah. aspects like, man, it'd be nice to have a desk job, <laughs> just go <laughs> make a bunch of money and not work that hard. But uh, yeah, not not saying by any means that's Amazon's culture. That's just one big company example of, of uh, something that we deal with. But uh, yeah, that's that's not me, right? I really I enjoy, like I said, building things, and you find those like-minded people. So you're looking for folks who don't want to work at a big company, uh, but there's you know there's still thousands of small companies even within security that we have to compete with for talent. So building the right culture, having the right kind of story and opportunity to be able to kind of get everyone excited collectively. And then as those interviews are happening, if your employees are exuding that confidence and that energy and the passion, um, it's contagious, I think, to some extent. So a good mentor of mine years ago told me people follow passion. And I, I strongly believe that. Yeah, cool. Nice. So, um, oh man, I just lost my train of thought, but um, you were talking about Oh, where did it go? It'll come back to me. Come it's on. All good. Better, better you than me. I'm usually on <laughs> yeah. your side. Nice. Um, so, oh yeah, the, the competition. So there's thousands of other companies who do similar things to what you do. So what would you say? Obviously the culture is something that really stands out. Uh, how else would you say you differentiate yourself? Yeah. So uh, want to be very clear on, on my communication of that. There are thousands of other startup cybersecurity companies, right? And then, you know, I'm sure tens of thousands outside of cyber. Uh, we are in a very unique position in the fact that what we do, we're the only company that does this. Now, there's a lot of what I would call kind of like incumbent vendors that are quasi-competitive to us. We're serving the security investigation space. We sell to kind of mid to large enterprises with security operations center, uh, a group of folks monitoring for kind of cyber threats and having to investigate and respond to those threats. Um, most of the technologies they use today, those incumbent vendors do centralize the data, or there's a lot, again, of point solutions, right? Maybe I've got an endpoint platform for all of my devices. Most everyone who uh, looks at the stock market has heard of CrowdStrike. They're absolutely on fire, right? That's a, an EDR technology. Um, Splunk is another well-known name, big data collection platform. So all of these different technologies exist in the environment. We're not directly competitive with any of them. We really help them kind of connect the dots, that connective layer, where again, you ask a single question and we'll go get all the data. So think back to the analogy. I've got a doctor friend, a lawyer friend, an engineering friend. I need to get the collective answer to make a decision. We do that. And we do it through the browser without any taking, without ever taking any data back from the customer. So it's it's a super lightweight overlay, kind of the intelligence layer on top, which is quite unique. So there's no direct competitors, I guess, to short answer cool. to your question, yeah. but there's a lot of stuff. It's like, what are their other options? And that's kind of the status quo of just doing it the way they've been doing it for years with a lot of different logins and pivots. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, no worries. No worries. There are, there are yeah. a lot of startup companies, but there's no direct competitors. If I was well, in a space with 10,000 competitors at this stage, I'd be very concerned, right? Because it's hard <laughs> to be a commodity player doing innovative things. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're in such a unique position. That's really cool. Um, so who is your ideal client? Uh, so we've done a lot of reflecting on our ICP. Uh, I started to lay out some of that. Um, you know, our, our target customers, again, are like the, the mid to large side of enterprise, right? So uh, of mid enterprise, it would be the high end because it's companies that have security operations centers. They've got a very dedicated focus to security. Typically in the kind of small to medium business, they've outsourced a lot of this. So we, uh, we have sold to and have customers that are MSSPs or service providers of themselves. Um, that's how we reach the kind of small and mid market, but our real direct sales motion is very much the high end. Uh, they've got a lot of tools, right? If you look at kind of a standard enterprise bank or healthcare provider, um, 
tech firm, you, you could have 50, 60 tools just in your identity stack, understanding kind of who's who and how they uh, allocate and assign, especially as you move towards some of these zero trust models, who has access to what. And it just further uh, creates this challenge of, hey, I've adopted all the big cloud players. I've got stuff in Google, Amazon, and Microsoft's cloud infrastructure. Maybe I've got that CrowdStrike tool as my endpoint, which is a SaaS provider. They keep my data in their cloud. I've got an on-prem instance. I've got legacy, you know, Active Directory domains, and all these other things. You're talking about, you know, hundreds in certain cases of data silos. How do you get a collective visibility across all of this and understand what's going on? So those customers on that higher end typically have these problems. They've got entire teams dedicated to this detection, monitoring, and response. Um, they've got a lot of different tools and there's no tools really focusing on kind of connecting the dots and helping them tell the story. They've got a ton of the detection tools to say, hey, this is bad, but how does that really tie into, you know, you as the user and what your role is in the company or the devices that you're using? Is this a critical asset or is it somebody's workstation? Um, there's a number of different attributes you have to look at. And it's those kind of cross-reference lookup relationships that we can help them do kind of interactively and dynamically that really drives the value home. So um, I don't know if that really helps to kind of define it, but it's definitely the larger yeah. end. It's because of all those reasons, right? The more tools they have, uh, that talent shortage we talked about, find a user who's an expert in 10 different tool sets. It's kind of the equivalent of saying, hey, I need you to speak English, French, German, you know, Latin, Russian, right? Because every tool has a different data format, a different query language, and the humans are now manually doing all of these things. So this single and simple rather translation layer uh, is a tremendous value in and of itself. And that's just to get access to the data before you apply any real knowledge or intelligence on top of it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, great. So couple more questions for you. First one is, what is one of the biggest lessons you've learned as an entrepreneur? Um, funding is not as easy as they say it is. <laughs> I think uh, it's interesting to read the stats, right? Because it's one of the things that I think prevent people from taking the chance. It's like, hey, you know, 90% of startups fail before they ever reach funding, which is probably true, right? But then if you read the counter stats, it's like more, more companies have been funded this year in this day and age with higher valuations than ever before, which gives you this kind of contradictory, hey, funding super hard or hey, funding super available, it's never been easier. Um, funding is challenging, right? You have to have a good idea and a business plan and a model and confidence to go in and tell the investors why they should invest in you. Just because they're making big investments and they have money to spend doesn't mean they're going to throw it away, right? These are very intelligent people who have been around for a long time and, and often kind of see some of the direction that the market's taking. Um, so I, I think, you know, it, it's certainly not impossible. It's not something that should scare you away. Just, you know, a lot of it too is relationships, right? So if you're going to build your own company, understand who invests in your space, how they operate, find some folks that they know. Uh, network is everything. That's another kind of big lesson learned from, from entrepreneurship. Like the, mm. the more people, you know, surrounding yourself with a group of, uh, you know, like-minded individuals doing this at similar stages, some behind you, some ahead of you can be tremendously valuable, right? There's, there's lessons to learn across the board and anything you can learn through somebody else's trials and errors that you don't have to kind of repeat yourself and learn the hard way is certainly beneficial. That's probably three answers to your single question. I don't know which one's <laughs> most valuable, but. it's uh... great. Yeah, no, all of them. Sweet. Okay. So um, on this podcast, I've been asking this question since I started it, which is what makes you feel alive? And you don't have to apply that to work. It can be any aspect of your life. I am, uh, I think you said in one of your videos, you're an adventurer. I'm also an adventurer. I love being outside. Uh, 
I really like kind of connecting back to uh, nature and more primal roots, as silly as that may sound. Um, just being Absolutely. outside, we'll give that to you. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, whether it's on the water, whether it's in the woods, I love the mountains. Um, I like the beach. I tolerate that. My wife is a big beach person, but I'm more of a mountain <laughs> guy. Uh, but, you know, I in my spare time to kind of to de-stress from technology, I like to build things with my hands. So being able to take uh, a tree as an example and then mill that into lumber that you can then mill into whatever kind of fine thing you want to build, whether it's cabinets or furniture or otherwise, uh, or maybe just remodeling something, right? The, the pride that I get from looking at that, like I did that myself, makes me very much feel alive, right? When you tie that into incorporating the family and in all of those activities, I think we had talked about briefly as we we're getting started here, I have three young kids. So getting them involved, um, you know, <laughs> at their ages, there's, there's just so many different things that they get joy from and they can therefore bring joy to you that you would never connect. It's like the things that they think are funny or the stuff that they say, like, where did that even come from? Uh, I would say all of that makes me feel alive. So certainly in a, a work construct, right, you get that term sheet from the funding and it's a good one, like our series A, we're all excited. We know we're on to the next thing and you're shifting gears, finding the right talent, getting the people on the big win from a customer, all of those things can, can play into that. But I think, you know, uh, you have to have a balance between, um, you know, life, life, like we don't live to work, we work so we can live, right? And that, that's often yeah. kind of mistaken in the entrepreneurial world. But uh, I think if you could find that balance, you can find a lot of things that make you feel a lot, a lot of joy in both. Cool. I love that. Yeah, that's such a great perspective. Um, okay, so where can people get in touch with you? Uh, Andrew Akuri AI is my email. I don't know if I should share that here, but uh, LinkedIn sure. as well, A Maloney. Um, pretty easy to find in that regard. But yeah, there's a contact us form on the website. You can hit me up directly. Um, happy to help any way I can. I think uh, kind of paying it forward is a very important piece. So if there's anything I can do to assist people as they're trying to get started, make connections or otherwise, I'm, I'm very open to that. Cool. That's awesome. All right. And then last question. Is there anything else you'd like to leave the listeners with? No, uh, look, this has been really enjoyable. I appreciate you having me on. It's been great. Uh, thank you for the opportunity. Yeah, you bet. My pleasure. It's great having you here. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Sacrifice to Success podcast. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, please check out the link in the show notes and you can find all of the details there. If you got something out of this interview, would you please take a moment to share on social media? You can just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to somebody or post it on the socials. Let's see if we can change the narrative of social media and post valuable, positive content. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content, so to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please go ahead and subscribe. The thumbs up ratings and reviews go a long way to help promote the show, and they mean a lot to me. If you'd like to know more, go to my website, davidweavercoach.com, or you can follow me on LinkedIn or Facebook. Those links are also in the show notes. And I do also have a free training on my website as well. So thank you so much for listening and we will see you next time.